I'm Shachar Azani, and I'm pleased to join David Harris on Defending Israel, even though this time, albeit from some distance, all the way in England. It's been two months since the horrid massacre in Israel, and the IDF has begun its offensive in the south of Gaza against barbaric Hamas. In the meantime, many international organizations continue to keep silent in the face of sexual brutalities and atrocities perpetrated against Jewish and Israeli women on October 7th. To discuss this and more, David, it's always great to be with you. How are you? All, all things considered, Shachar, I'm, I'm okay, thank you. You know, I mentioned the brutalities against um, Israeli and Jewish women that occurred on October 7th, and there was an event that took place at the UN to highlight the horrid, horrid sexual abuses and, um, and, and acts perpetrated against, you know, young, older Israeli women and Jewish women on that day, and the unbelievable silence from leading women's organizations, as, as they say, as they called it continuously, it's me too, unless you're a Jew. You know, I think um, of, of the many comments that I saw in this respect, Shahar, uh, I'm sorry to say that Whoopi Goldberg, the television personality for me, takes the cake. When she said on, on national television, when asked why aren't women's groups speaking out exactly to your point, and she said, and I quote, well, they don't want to exacerbate it. I mean, if, if that's not the most absurd, um, uh, insensitive, ridiculous comment, they don't want to exacerbate it. But it well, wouldn't stop them, of course, from speaking out on other illustrations of sexual violence. Of course not. Right. But in this case, as you said, uh, if it involves Jews... Just doesn't rise to the to the occasion. What what does it even mean, David? <laughs> they don't want to exacerbate it. How can anybody? How I, I just it baffles me. I have to tell you, I simply don't understand. It's it's but look, again. We begin with not just the women's groups, but the United Nations organization right. that, that seeks to protect women. Right. And how long it took them even to say anything at all, however weak it was, and you and I have discussed that before, but. But Shahar, think about this, the Secretary General of the United Nations itself, so the boss of bosses, right. um, once again said, uh, what we need is, and I quote, a true humanitarian ceasefire. I mean, forgive me with respect, on what planet is the Secretary General of the United States living? A true humanitarian ceasefire with Hamas? whose stated goal is the eradication of Israel, right. and who has perpetrated the worst violence against Jews since the Holocaust? What kind of a ceasefire can you have with them, much less a true humanitarian ceasefire? Right. Uh, this is this is a sort of a, an out-of-body experience. Yeah, it is. And, and they keep on promising, David, that Hamas uh, leaders, those terrorist abominable people, not even people, monsters, they keep on promising more and more massacre, more and more October 7th on every interview. We get a chance to do more. We will. In the face of such, you know, threat of evil, what other choice does Israel have than to completely eradicate them so that our people, the Israeli people, are safe, but not just Israelis. Others, Hamas has been harming Palestinians a lot. We spoke about this many times. It's in their interest to see more and more Palestinians die. And again, I'm looking at some of the responses, Shahar, to these outrages, and I think the winner yeah. is the Prime Minister of Ireland. When Emily Hand, this young nine-year-old girl, was, was released in one of the 
hostage releases, his comment as the Prime Minister of Ireland, and I quote here, was an innocent child who was lost has now been found. The Prime Minister of Ireland could not mention Hamas, could not mention kidnapping, could not imagine the unimaginable circumstances in which she was held for week after week after week. Instead, again, listeners, an innocent child who was lost, as if she were in the woods, has now been found. This is the quality of Western leadership. And I'll give you one more uh, example, Shahar, of what I think is sort of Western mindlessness. In the midst of what you've just described, the Prime Minister of Spain, another European Union country, a member of NATO, said, and I quote him as well, if the European Union does not recognize the independent state of Palestine, Spain will make its own decision. In other words, Hamas attacks Israel with the stated goal of genocide. Abbas in the West Bank endorses Hamas. 75% of the Palestinian people, according to Palestinian survey, Shahar, fully support the Hamas action. And this is the moment for the Prime Minister of Spain to say publicly, if the EU will not recognize the state of Palestine, then we will make our own decision. So you reward this kind of behavior when Israel is fighting for its very life. Very true. Something's going very wrong here. Very wrong. And I, I got to tell you, David, from your perspective, having met so many of these world leaders uh, in the course of your career, how do you explain such a statement by the um, Spanish premier? Is it stupidity? Is it anti-Semitism? Is it succumbing to local pressure by anti-Israel groups in Spain? It, it baffles me to such a degree. It makes no sense whatsoever, especially remembering that he was one of the uh, two premiers who held the press conference at the Rafah crossing when we had the first uh, move of hostages. What propels such inexplicable stupidity or such statements that are inappropriate to the core at this point in time? Bashar, let me go a step further with the Spanish prime minister. He and his country have long had a problem with Catalonia, whose capital is Barcelona, where there have been referendums and movements to create an independent state of Catalonia. So when the Spanish prime minister talks about, quote, the independent state of Palestine, he's unleashing far more than he bargained for. Right. Because that's what he seeks. Let's in turn seek the independent state of Catalonia. Exactly. Let's see Spain break apart over the issue of sovereignty and independence. So what explains this? I think everything you said um, fits. It's, it, it, it's, a, it's an airtight worldview that doesn't allow the facts to, 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 to come in to disturb that worldview, uh, that ideology. It's political expediency. It's let's sacrifice Israel on the altar of political expediency to right. save ourselves. Right. It's political cowardice. It's moral cowardice. Right. It's all of those things because these are not unintelligent people, Shahar. Right. It's not as if, you know, it's not as if they have a, a, a second grade education. I don't mean to insult anyone with a second grade education. But when it comes to Israel, 
We know the rules are different. The rules are different. You know, I have to tell you, David, I feel that this is something that I can ask you. And I'm wondering, you're, lo you're looking at public comments made, you know, you mentioned Whoopi Goldberg and others. And I'm thinking about, uh, you know, former actress Susan Sarandon, who keeps on saying, you know, nobody's free until Palestine is free. And I had to look at her statements and on October 7th or 8th, she said absolutely nothing. But afterwards, she was very, you know, quick to stand by the Palestinian and the demand for justice for Palestinians. Gotta ask you, David, do, does she think she's a good person by doing this or does she know that that's evil? I mean, can't explain. I just gotta know. I gotta know. I wish I could give you a, a, a credible answer. I, I, I'm guessing, Shahar, as I don't know her, that in her own mind, she is the, the, the epitome of virtue. Yeah. Uh, she is a humanitarian. Right. She is with the oppressed, quote unquote. She's right. with the powerless, quote unquote. Uh, by the way, we spoke about Susan Sarandon once before in our conversations. Right. Uh, since then, she's apologized right. in quotation marks for her earlier comments. Uh, how sincere is the apology? I don't know. She only apologized about the whole Jewish Muslim. Now Jews knows how right. Muslim feel. Nothing to do with Israel. Right. And, and also one doesn't know how much of this is career saving. Right. Because she's feeling some heat for those comments. Thank God. But I have to tell you, <laughs> of all the media comments I've seen lately right. that have um, troubled me, and yeah. there are many, I think the winner on this one is Sky News. Uh, the, the anchor was Kay Burley. She was interviewing Elon Levy, who has been a terrific spokesman for the government of Israel, very nimble, very smart, very composed. And she actually said to him, for those JBS viewers who may have missed it, Epic. I'm, I'm quoting her. And the fact, um, the fact that Israel does not think that lives are as valued on the Palestinian side. And why did she say that? Because there was a swap of three Palestinian prisoners for one Israeli hostage. So in her mind, uh, that devalued Palestinian lives. After all, one Israeli life, therefore, uh, is valued as three Palestinian lives. That had to be the most absurd comment ever in the history of television. Elon right. Levy tried to stay composed, but he was incredulous on hearing this question. Um, Ma'am, these were the... <laughs> This was what Hamas was saying. Right. And if you go back to Gilad Shalit, Israel released over 1,000 Palestinians for one Israeli soldier held hostage. The moral of the story is not that Israel devalues Palestinian lives. The moral of the story is that Israel values the lives of its citizens. Right. And is willing to go to great lengths to affirm life against a death cult that couldn't give a damn about life. Very true. Very true. Um, on, the, on, the, on the level of international diplomacy, it's fascinating to see um, Iran in this regard, how it's using its proxies, uh, proxies to do its bidding, whether it's Hezbollah in the north of Israel, whether it's Hamas, of course, in its current atrocities. And we have seen um, some more energetic, let's call it, action in the Red Sea with an attack coming from the Houthis in Yemen against ships, against um, United States Navy. 
um, that's being attacked with, with UAVs and with missiles. And I want to ask you, how do you see Iran's aggressive behavior in this regard? And what do you think should be done at this point, bearing in mind the fact that they have definitely escalated their, um, their efforts against the U.S. and naturally Israel? Sahar, let me put all my cards on the table for JBS viewers. We go back to 2015, uh, the Iran deal that was negotiated by the United States and our partners in Europe, uh, as well as Russia and China. Uh, we thought at the time, I thought at the time, that it was a very weak deal, it was a bad deal, it was a deal we could not support. The Obama administration um, pushed forward aggressively even though even though they did not have majority support in either the house or the senate they circumvented the congress they went to the u.n security council uh, and they moved forward in the Biden administration we have many veterans of that deal and much of their historical legacy is bound up with that deal uh, it was one of the very few accomplishments in the foreign policy field of the obama administration right uh, tangible accomplishments. And so we see, I see at least, a certain weakness uh, in the Biden administration when it comes to Iran. Uh, it's, it's not just the rhetoric. At the end of the day in Tehran, they don't measure words. They measure deeds, Very actions. Yep. And they smell and sense a weakness, a hesitation on the part of the West, which really means the United States. Right. France, Germany, Britain are not going to act against Iran unless the United States leads. Right. And I believe that with a regime like the Iranian regime, um, there's no room for doubt. Uh, you have to demonstrate your will, your power, your determination when they challenge you. And Iran has been challenging the United States even as it seeks Israel's annihilation, it's challenging the United States. It's encircling Israel. It's spreading its tentacles throughout the region. Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, Yemen, uh, Gaza, and if they succeed, the West Bank as well. So it's high time. It was high time yesterday, Shahar, for the, the Biden administration to get stronger, to get tougher, to get clearer with Iran, and not just in words, but you touch us. You touch us, you touch our ships, you touch our military bases, our military personnel, and you're going to feel a response that you never expected and that you'll never forget. You know, in a region like the Middle East, um, David, we know that weakness is an open invitation to hostilities and a show of strength is the only guarantee of any kind of a strength. Why do you think they're missing that message at the administration? And why haven't they acted so far, thus inviting more and more attacks? because I think they're still under the illusion going back to 2015 that they can strike a deal with Iran, that they can return to the deal, they can go back to the status quo ante, uh, because the Obama view of Iran was not just a transactional deal, it was a transformational deal that reimagined the balance of power and the future of the Middle East. Uh, and, and on this, they were wrong. And yet, interestingly, Shahar, because I'm pulling myself back to the media, when it came to, uh, to to marking the death of Henry Kissinger, who, whether you like him or not, was one of the extraordinary figures in 20, 20th century history. Right. Um, who did the New York Times publish? Ben Rhodes. Ben Rhodes, 
the speechwriter and aide to Barack Obama, who proudly told the world in 2000, after the, the Iran deal, how the administration had basically misled everyone in order to ensure that the deal would move forward. Right. And Ben Rhodes representing an Obama administration, which on foreign policy had very little to show, right. gets, gets to give the assessment in the paper of record on Henry Kissinger. And ridiculous. Like, yes. Give me a break. But right. again, the Times was looking for someone to skewer Kissinger. Uh, ben Rhodes was happy to skewer Kissinger. Right. Kissinger is not above criticism. Don't misunderstand me. Right. But Ben Rhodes, what was accomplished in, on the foreign policy front during the eight years of the Obama administration. Exactly, exactly. The Iran deal and, and diplomatic relations with Cuba, and neither has shown very much uh, right. in its favor. Exactly, a, lo a lot to show for Ben Rhodes, um, ben Rhodes has. I want to ask you, uh, we're talking about perceived allies, and the word Qatar comes to my mind. You know, we've seen Qatar to be the mediator trying to get, um, you know, Israeli hostages out because of its sponsorship of Hamas for many years, because it's a use of the ultimate um, propaganda tool for Hamas, which is Al Jazeera. We have seen so many incidents where Al Jazeera refuses to tell the truth as it is from Gaza unless it fits the line um, of, of the atrocious Hamas. We have even seen Qatari leadership coming out in these last couple of days are blaming Israel for what's happening in Gaza. We know Qatar is an issue that needs to be dealt with in the Middle East. No longer can we just look away and continue as, you know, uh, as if it's October 6th. But I want to ask you specifically, David, about American universities in Qatar and how big of an influence do they have for uh, educating our, our future generation right here in the U.S.? So you're absolutely right um, in raising the issue of Qatar, Shahar. I'm glad you did. Thank you. Uh, and I think, first of all, for the U.S., the notion that this is a binary issue, either we accept Qatar as it is, um, or we run the risk of losing Qatar, is a false choice. Uh, we, the United States, are big, strong, and nimble enough to be able to say to Qatar, we want to continue to work with you uh, when it's useful, when it's helpful, but not at the price of you housing Hamas leadership, right. not spewing... Uh, anti-Western, anti-American, anti-Semitic, anti-Zionist propaganda through Al Jazeera, and as you added, and not through your influence peddling, both in Europe, where you got caught at the European Union, you got caught red-handed, and in the United States. And I want to give a big shout out to ISCAP, the Institute for the Study of Global Anti-Semitism and Policy, which for years has quietly been doing the research and they've assembled an extraordinary amount of documentation about Qatar's attempts to influence American universities. And one by one, ISCAP's reports are coming out, one on Texas A&M, for example. Now, people might say, well, they have a good football team, but why would Qatar be interested other than the football team? Well, it turns out, Shahar and JBS viewers, that Texas A&M has one of the finest nuclear engineering programs in the country, we're told, and also helps manage the nuclear facilities at Los Alamos. And it also turns out in the agreement between Texas A&M and Qatar, which was discovered by ISCAP research, all the knowledge emerging from this agreement and these agreements are owned by Qatar, by Qatar. Now, Qatar 
is close to Iran. A Qatar can share this information. And I need to ask publicly, where is our government? Where is our government? Why are we allowing a country like Qatar to spend billions with a B right. of dollars with American universities um, in programs that make absolutely no sense? And also, I have to ask how much of the insanity that we've seen on American campuses lately is either a direct or an indirect result of this influence peddling by Qatar focusing on our great universities and on future generations of Americans. We have to call it out. I hope that a bipartisan effort in the US Congress will focus more attention on this. And I hope we'll see an administration response as we must. Right. Um... You know, if we learn something from October 7th is that we can be quiet no more about so many of this, these issues that seem to be simmering, but if not dealt with, may very much explode in our faces. And just like Qatar plays a negative role in the Middle East with its immense support for terror, supposedly as a West ally, which is not, we have to take a deeper look into what's happening right here within the border of the United States of America and our higher education. If we're really concerned about the future, couldn't you couldn't be more correct, David? But what else is uh, what else is needed? Sure. And sure, just let me add one quick thing. Mm -hmm. As you and I speak, the presidents of three of our great universities, Harvard, MIT, and Penn, have been called to Washington to, to appear before the House Committee on Education to discuss anti-Semitism on their own campuses. This is where our country is today that these great universities having been confronted with anti-Semitism and having been found wanting or lacking in their response are now called before the US Congress. Right. There's a lot of work to be done and very, very quickly. And hopefully with more than just words, David. Um, I, I wanna ask you before we, because we, we don't have much time left, but there is one thing that's really troubling me. I'm hearing a lot of people um, who come to me and say, I care so much about Israel. But what can I do? What can we do to support? What can we do to help? And I wanted to ask you, so that you could share with me and with our viewers, what do you think people can do to show their support for the state of Israel and really for the state of the world at this point in time? I think there are many things that we can do, we should do, some are doing, more can be doing. The first thing is the state of mind, Shahar. Uh, as, as my rabbi, Rabbi David Gelfand, said uh, last Shabbat, as Jews, we are mandated not to despair. We are not allowed to abandon hope. But let's go beyond that. At home, we need to be teaching our children. And now, achshav, today, hayom, um, to be proud Jews, to be proud uh, Zionists, to feel proud of the connection with Israel and to give it some depth and some substance and not just as headlines. We need to be sure that our elected officials hear from us. If they're supporting Israel, if they're traveling to Israel, if they're voting in the Congress or in the state or city legislatures, um, thank them. And if they're not, tell them of your concern. We need to be buying more Israeli products here. The economy in Israel has been very badly hit over the last two months. We need to be visiting those stores and businesses that are being targeted by the BDS crowd. Uh, those in the medical profession, like my son, 
um, can volunteer. My son is one of 12,000 or more doctors in the United States and around the world that are on call. If Israel should need a particular specialty, volunteer. Uh, organize a fundraiser. Uh, my, my eldest son and his wife, uh, just a few days ago, took over uh, uh, a cafe that they rented it for the evening. They invited their friends. They had a standing room only crowd and they raised money to help Israeli children. Uh, it was a wonderful effort. It can be replicated in homes. It can be replicated in cafes elsewhere. Uh, write checks, but write checks to organizations that are on the front line that can translate your money into immediate direct assistance to Israel. Organizations like Magen David Adom, the equivalent of the Red Cross, uh, Israel, uh, Friends of the Israel Defense Forces, and organizations like APAC, which are on the front line and trying to help ensure that the majority of Americans who support Israel are represented by a majority of members of Congress who stand up for and defend Israel. Uh, in my family and elsewhere, more people are putting up menorahs on their doors. They're wearing a Star of David, a, a, a Magen David. Um, they're going to synagogue more, whether they're real believers or just as an expression of community support. They're flying an Israeli flag in their window. Uh, and I hope that, that people listening will begin to plan a trip to Israel when they think the time is right and the time will be right again. Planes will be flying again not just El Al, but United and Delta and American. Uh, and finally, I want to, to give a shout out to um, a friend of mine, a former colleague. She and her, her partner had long been planning a trip to South Africa. First time, Shahar. They were dreaming about it. They were thinking about it. They were poring over books. And as the date got close after October 7th, they saw South Africa's abysmal, abysmal attitude toward Israel. They looked at each other and they said, much as we wanted to go, we're not going. It's our small way of saying we have dignity, we have pride, we're not going. So there are lots and lots of ways, and I've just touched the surface, Shahar, that we can not just cheer on Israel, but we can actually do something for Israel and for ourselves. You know, you, you mentioned South Africa, and it takes me back to all of our conversations, David, where you always emphasize that just as much as we show our gratitude to those who support us, we, it's time we take names and call out those who didn't stand by us, and specifically South Africa, it's worth mentioning, their foreign minister. She actually called Ismail Haniya the abominable Hamas leader, to express her solidarity with the Palestinian people after what happened on October 7th. I, it, it's downright unfathomable to think about such an attitude, and I'm so happy to hear about your example, because the truth is that there is so much, that it means a lot that there is so much that we can do, even if sometimes we think we can't. South Africa, Turkey, Bolivia, Colombia, Chile, I would add after the comment of the Irish Prime Minister, right. Ireland, well, Spain, yeah. Belgium, if you don't have to go, don't go. If you don't have to invest, don't invest. There are lots of other countries that have been strong and supportive from the UK right. to Germany, to the Czech Republic, to Hungary, to Italy, to, to Australia and Canada and many other countries beyond. Let's have self-respect uh, and I think that's more important now than ever, Shahar. Israelis are on the front lines.
whether they're serving in uniform or whether they're civilians. They're all on the front lines. And October 7th reminded us they're all on the front lines. Children, the elderly, the handicapped, women, as well as soldiers, male and female. And by the way, Jews, Druze, Muslims, Christians, they're all on the front lines. So it's up to us to man the third front line, the global front line, the front line for Israel's good name, the front line to extend support to our Israeli brothers and sisters. And the time is right now, not tomorrow, today. Today. You know, I, I, I think there is no more appropriate line to not just end this conversation, but continue, uh, continue it as we move on. Let us all have some self-respect. That's incredible and so important for all of us to remember, David. Thank you so much as always, and can't wait to have you back in the studio soon again. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, JBS viewers, and thank you, Shachar. Thank you. And to all of you, our viewers, we'll say once more, these are trying times for all of our people and for people who seek justice and peace all over the world. And the only way we can get through those times is together. May we see better times soon. And David, in the best tradition, England or not, I'm Israel. Israel. Hi. Hi. We'll see you soon. Thank you so much for watching.